Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hello, it's Martin here. Electronically Yours, as always. Today's part two of my interview with um, Mark White from ABC. He's such an amazing guy. I feel kind of a little bit calmed down just even talking to him. I mean, he spent 10 years as a Reiki practitioner and maybe he can transmit stuff over, over Zoom. Maybe it's all about, maybe some of it is to do with, you know, body language and stuff that can be read over, over Zoom. That's a pretty wild concept, isn't it? Maybe he's rechanneled my energy or something. We get deep into uh, discussing the albums after Lexicon of Love uh, and his further career. What a fascinating man he is. I uh, feel there aren't that many people, I think. You know, I'd really like to spend a lot more time with them and, you know, shoot the breeze, discuss the world, philosophical matters, you know, in a kind of um, classic salon way. But I, I do believe that I would learn a lot from Mark. <clears throat> he seems a very wise soul. And he's been through the other side of things, as he alludes to in this interview. Uh, and that's probably what's led him to this particular place. Uh, so here is part two of an interview with the great Mark White. Right, tell me about the idea for the artwork for Beauty Stab. Hmm. Interesting, because it, it well, Martin meant it very poetically. Yes, that's all. And um, we just felt it needed something like that. And you know, for God's sake, on record, none of us are bullfighting fans. Of course. I'd say but, I understand all this, Mark. And when the album came out, I went, well, that's a daring choice. You know, and, and of course it links with the title perfectly and it's very artistic and very kind of cultural. But people take things so literally. It's like, it's I a bit know. like, well, you know, doing Penthouse of Payment. Everybody thought that we were like yuppies. And clearly it was a satire. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> You know it was. No. Go on. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's just... Well, I was, well, thank God it's not like the cancel culture of now yeah. where uh, I doubt I would have survived that. Yeah, you and me both. You know what I mean? If you just, they just get the wrong thing, doesn't matter how much you explain, cancel. You mm. know, and... It, I don't remember there being a big hoo-ha at the time about it. No, I'll tell you what I thought, uh, which is, and, and I actually talked to uh, Paul Barr about this uh, over lunch the other day, because I, I said, come on, you must have some stories uh, to tell. And um, and he said, you know, when that came, and as far as he was concerned, when that came out, he felt like me, which is, it was like, it seemed a little obtuse. That's the word I'd use. I think... Th <laughs> That sums up the whole album, I think, yes. Right. <laughs> you know, when uh, I, I've got a similar kind of thing, which is when we first um, heard that we were going to sign to Virgin, our immediate response 
was to uh, um, put out Dignity of Labour, which is completely uncommercial. I love that. I know. Martin, but... I wish you'd just done a whole stream of that stuff. Yeah, uh, me too. You know, as just... Because when Low came out and the side two sprained me, it was just, wow, it's like classical orchestral, but yeah. done with synths. And it was all that tempo rubato stuff yeah. where I'm, I'm going, who's counting what? <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've known the album for like 40 years or whatever it is. And I still don't know where... It, I can't count with it. it. It's just, I like that. It's beautiful. It is. Um, and it was fantastic. Um, and I really thought, wow, this is, people are going to take this and run with it. And when I heard Dignity of Labour, I thought, yeah, this is exactly what we need, like a whole stream of that. Move over Stockhausen, you know. <laughs> Roll over, it's Steve Reich, move over. Oh, thank you. That's very kind, but I don't think that's quite true. Um, tell us about Beauty Stab, though. Let's get back onto, you know, yeah. what you thought about the content of Beauty Stab as opposed to, well, look, we discussed in the last one uh, how difficult it is to follow up Lexicon of Love. Mm. And um, I'll, it's I'll a go bit, it's a further. bit further. Impossible. Yeah. Impossible, yeah. It kind of like a, it's a bit of a pyrrhic victory. That's what you'd say, isn't it? I love that. It, it, it's um, yeah. It's a it's a curse. It's a curse. A curse. I don't. I can live with. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But um, and of course, I just get prouder of it. So you know, don't regret it. And anyway, it's just what happened. But the way th that whole period came about is it lexicon was immensely successful around the world you know we had hits in america yeah germany japan but you know we were just traveling ourselves ragged and did this world tour so britain followed by europe <clears throat> america straight on to japan oh it was exhausting yeah. And some people love touring. I mean, I don't. I, I just find it too tiring and also not very creative because it's just the same thing. Well, this is what it is to me. I know yeah, yeah. other people live for it. That's fine. But I, I didn't feel like that. So it was like, I mean, I really did go on stage sometimes. And I think, I, I remember one very vividly. I, I think we were up doing Paris Olympia, you know, and came on stage and there's all the big uh, applause, wonderful, wonderful. And then halfway through, I'm thinking, hmm, what shall I have from my <laughs> room service tonight? Ooh, I have a, I have this uh, a body experience as well. Yeah, <laughs> which is bizarre. Do you, you ever get that thing? I know weird. it's often, often described as you know hovering above your body, astral projection kind of thing. Don't I absolutely it. get that on stage. I get it on stage. Actually, when I'm less emotionally connected with the music. Uh, mm. When it's like, you know, I don't know, we live so fast or something, or something that's really kind of 
firing all the neurons, but not in a not in a kind of emotional way. And track, I, I often get a, six. I forget that thing, and I start looking at people in the audience who are all enjoying it, and they're dancing. And then I notice the guy in the wheelchair down the side, uh, uh, who's grooving along. And then I go, oh, I wonder how he lost use of his legs. And before I know it, I'm not. I'm completely on autopilot. Yeah. Don't know what where where I am, what I'm doing. And I have to completely refocus. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I need to talk to you about the whole Reiki thing later, by the way, um, mm. which I find fascinating personally. Um, so, yes, going yeah, back to... Thought, yeah, I had lots of things like that where I just thought, oh, God, no, this is just... I used to have this saying, like, that if it ever gets, like, working in the fish factory, fish finger factory. In my mind, it was bachelors, but I don't think they do <laughs> fish fingers. <laughs> and I thought, no. Wishy peas. If it gets like that, I, I'm, I'm it's history. Um, so it, it got to a bit towards like that, towards the end. Uh, particularly some of the weird gigs we had to do in America. I mean, we were big on the coast. San Francisco, we were like pop stars. LA, like Same pop with stars. us, yeah. New York. And then we found ourselves doing these weird gigs in Dallas, mm. um, Phoenix. Yeah. But, and we ended up with, hang on, with a support band in a cowboy bar. <laughs> what the fuck has happened here? <laughs> Something's gone dreadfully wrong. <laughs> but I suppose they just had to put some filler in. You know. Sounds, sounds like a... Um, the Dallas Agora. Uh, remember yeah. it well. It sounds like a, a kind of Jim Jarmusch film or something, you know. That's a, a great idea for a film, or a short film at least. You know, uh, young uh, ingenue pop, you know, British pop stars in the middle of a, of a massively redneck area <coughs> would be quite interesting. Wouldn't it? It. But that would be, I'd watch that. Lived it. Atlanta. That's another one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, you get uh, driven about in an, in a limo by the record company. It's not as brilliant as it sounds. No, no. And thought, okay, we've got to retain <coughs> these guys from England. What do we do? They took us to what they call a titty bar. Oh, wonder what that is. Now, that was... <laughs> talk about barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> None of us really... Like, we just have well, to go along with it, don't you? Yeah, can I uh, tell you uh, a place... Oh, should I tell this story? It's a bit... Risque. Oh, I don't care. Um, uh, when I first went to visit Vince in in Amsterdam, yeah, he was living on Herengracht and uh, quite not that far away from the red light district. But uh, there was quite a few well, yeah. gay bars nearby. Nearby, uh -huh. and he said, uh, "Should we go down to my local pub?" This is on the first day I was there. Uh, we finished our work for the day and said, yeah, I suppose so, yeah, that sounds interesting. What's it called? He said, the cock ring. I said, <laughs> mm, yeah, maybe, it's not my idea, perhaps, I, I don't know, it'd be fun. We we actually did go and it was fun. But um, I thought they don't mess about, you know. Uh, it's like... No. At all in Amsterdam and actually in a lot of 
kind of um, those. Yeah, the redneck thing. I'm not big on. Um, funnily enough, Glenn oh. Glenn toured America. We've never toured America, so. Oh. But Glenn uh, toured America with Holy Holy, who are on tour at the moment okay. in the UK. And um, he did, a, I think it was like a six-week tour, and he said, I am never going back to America again. <laughs> yeah. Well, he goes on holiday with his family or something, but I'm never going to tour America again. He said it just destroyed him. Yeah. yeah, It just made him feel very, very kind of psychologically... Um, Unstable, I think. <laughs> Some people love it, and I think they revert to a sort of childlike state. And you've got somebody to take care of everything, haven't you? You've got somebody That's to it. get you out of bed, get you onto the plane. You've got people cooking food, so you you know you're going to eat. You've got people looking after your clothes. It's you get so institutionalized that yeah. I found weird. Uh, but um, a lot of people love that. I don't. We did a tour with um, with uh, Night of the Proms throughout Europe where you're playing these 25,000 venues <laughs> and it's really weird, you know, like a yes. hundred. You've, well, have you been on that? No. Anyway, it's really Hard good. Big five. orchestra. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good uh, mm. and they do it incredibly well, but it's exactly like that. To the extent that once you've done your production rehearsals, you never have to even do a, a sound check every day because everything's on in ears for, for like 150 people on stage. Wow. Can you believe that? Can you imagine the technical challenge of that? Anyway, um, so you just turn up at the venue and walk on stage. You're not even seeing the venue after a few gigs. You go, oh, this is yeah, but th it's that. Everybody's uh, sorting everything out for you. You don't have to think about anything. You become just a functionary an entertainment yeah, yeah. uh, That's uh robot just a yeah yeah an entertainment robot <laughs> it's it started to get like that for me and we all came off tour and we'd all had kind of different experiences of it but i think it drove each of us singularly <laughs> mad in different ways <laughs> And this is where I regret not having a manager mentor at that time. Oh, right. Because what we, looking back, hindsight, all that, was somebody who's got experience, seen it all before, just go, guys, look, what it is, you're all exhausted. Yeah. You need to just take six months off, have some new experiences, you know, nourish yourselves in every possible way, creatively, physically, all of that, uh, and then get back together and something new will come out of that. Yeah. But we didn't really, we did a very small amount of that. So that experience, I'm convinced, just in a way, made us want to sort of get the lexicon of love puppy, tie it in a sack, <laughs> take it down the serpentine uh, uh. And, throw and throw it over, you know, <laughs> you would, but, but, but not that, not consciously. It no. was just, that was the thing. So we just wanted to be really different. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, okay, I dig it. I dig the creative attitude towards the second album. Uh, and um, it's just, It was a, just a rock and roll suicide, though, Martin, I'm afraid. Well... It, it, it kind of was. And I, I sort of uh, often, you know, I have a sort of multiverse moment where I think, hmm, now, where would the Mark White be who had come off that tour and it was all a bunch of roses, it was lovely, and we'd just been told this information, just you've got to recuperate. I think this is what happened to the Scissor Sisters, by the way. That just comes to my mind. Yeah. Uh, because th- th- they just went supernova, didn't they? And then, mm-hmm. whoops, second album. Um, but that didn't happen at all, you know. So we were all just... Um, wanting to kick back somehow. Yeah. I think the fact that we actually said we're not going to perform live because we didn't want to get into that touring, touring an album routine when with Hem17. But you tour we, such a lot now, Martin. Sorry? You tour such a lot now. Yeah, because we love it. But that, but love then it, it yeah. was a massive obligation. I, I think I'd think of it differently now. Yeah. It's... Um, it's. I think that enabled us to do luxury yet. Mm. I think we would have never have done an album that was as well considered and as well. I think it's really well produced and 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 the songs and arrangements are good and all that. Stuff. I don't think that would have ever have happened if we'd have got done done what you did. And same, I, I think the same is true for <clears throat> people like um, Simple Minds, for instance. So as soon as they started doing the big stadium rock thing, for me, I lost interest a little bit. This, it all became kind of a little bit. Didn't they? They became like the new Genesis in a way. Yeah, it was not my confused the hell out of me. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, it's just interesting the conscious decisions you make, the unconscious decisions that you don't make. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, define your career really it's really yeah. interesting okay so so what was the reaction to beauty step just refresh my memory utter confusion <laughs> um i wish you could see his face utter really- confusion and <laughs> with the benefit of time i totally get that now i can see that you know, I mean, the analogy I make in my mind is if it's like, I love Grace Jones, right? Yeah. Now, I love what Grace Jones does. If she'd gone off and gone, never mind, pull up to the bumper. I've been to Nashville. I've done a country album. I would just freak. I, I think I'd, I know I would have a hard time accepting it. Yeah. So I think that's what we kind of did. And uh, although we were proud artistically of what we did, I mean, it was really different, really bold guitars, basically going back to like a band thing. Um, yeah, it, it was um, it was extremely bold, but but uh, but people were just completely confused, right? Um, and what what was your um? And we started to slide down the greasy pole. 
Oh, yes, the greasy pole. We all know about that, don't we? Well, yes. It, it, um, so, as hard so, to get up as it is to get down. Yeah. Although well, no, people... It's hard to get up, and once you slip down, you can't get back up again. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's hard. Yeah. I think we're... <laughs> I think we're squeezing the life out of this metaphor. But um, <laughs> um, what was your favourite uh, work on that album? Um, I like the single. I like the sort of train wreck <laughs> solo. Yeah! <laughs> I like that bit. And it's it's also quite catchy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also like by default by design. That's just an orchestral thing. I mean, it's all over the place. This thing, isn't it? It's just nothing. Yeah, but you you wanted to express yourself as artists, right? And you yeah. thought, like we did with Luxury Gap, we thought we may never get this opportunity again. So whatever yeah. we've got in mind, let's be daring and have a go at it. Yeah. And I bet you. Well, we always had sort of discussions rationalizing it, it like well if if we really like it and believe in it that yeah. is the most important thing because if it if it isn't successful then you can still live with yourself exactly but if if the record company or whoever's advising you gets you to do something you don't really believe in yeah yeah. Then you've done it, and you've only got yourself to blame. Absolutely well put. That's perfect. Um, um, we didn't do that, and I'm yeah. proud of that. That's good. Okay, now my favourite, How to Be a Zillionaire. Mm. Um, explain to me the thought process be behind um, the, the kind of new cartoony version of of kind of ABC. Oh, me and Martin had always said, we both really loved the pop cartoons, you know, like the Osmonds, the, the Jackson 5. The Archies. Um, the Archies, oh, yes, the number one. And Martin had always got it in his head. He said, I want to do a cover of Judy in Disguise with glasses. <laughs> I don't know who, who did that, but it was a completely bogus made-up group. Right. <laughs> um. And so that that idea had always been around. And by that time, we'd shrunk to a two-piece. It was just me right. and Martin. Yeah. But we didn't really want to present the band like that. It just didn't feel. We felt it needed more. Um, and I'd taken this long break that we should have had before, after, after Lexicon. And spent a bit of time in America, and the the the, the radio, the R and B radio at that time, was incredible. You know, playing stuff that you just didn't hear, yeah, uh, uh, easily over here in yeah. in nineteen eighty four, eighty five. Yeah. You just didn't. Um, and very early electro was just starting. Yeah, heard all that stuff. And we heard um, Malcolm X, no sellout. Malcolm X. <laughs> All um, Keith LeBlanc, who was the Sugar Hill yeah. house drummer. Right. 
was also the programmer on a lot of these early electro records. Oh, right. I didn't know that. So that had gone in. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so with this idea of like, we just wanted to make it look visually interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'd met David Yaritu, the little guy, yeah. in um, in the USA. And he's extraordinary to look at. Very, very stylish. And in London, I, I was going to clubs like Taboo, you know, Lee right. Bowery's right. place. Yes. I just loved it. I loved his stuff. Yeah. Um, that was about... And it just all hodgepodged all together and um, started writing some. So, I mean, by that point, me and Martin were living together in a flat in Holland oh. Park. Oh, this is like, it was like the young ones. <laughs> I never told you about this. No. Flat. Yeah, it was on Lonsdale Road, you know, the, right next to the tube station. That's Holland Park. That's Lonsdale Road right. going into Notting Hill. Right. And, uh, yeah, so we rented a place there, and um, that also became our writing studio. Right. So we started writing a lot of stuff. I'd got an E2 by that point. Yeah, me, I had one of those. They're great. Oh, They're great. God, I know. It was it was a shame to wind by my, to the Fairlight programmer. Yeah. Because we loved our Fairlight programmer. Gary Mobley, he was just lovely. These two sounded better, you know. I thought. Personally. Well, it did. It was twelve bit or something. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. yeah. Rather than eight bit, and it didn't need so much tarting up in the studio. That's right. Um. So I started doing that kind of thing, and um, started writing songs, and I suppose because of the nature of. The instruments we gathered together at that time and the influences from America, it, it just came out like that. Right. You know, both me and Martin really love um, American dance music. Me too. Always had done. Yeah. Um, you know, right. I mean, for Martin, I think he was into the Northern Soul, you know, regionally when that came out. Um and then you know Motown and so on and so on. and and then when when the early electronic stuff came out like we were hearing Grandmaster Flash that blew our minds you know yeah. wow that is amazing um yeah and and, and so tell me about uh, Fiona because we knew Fiona yes of course yeah um I wasn't her biggest fan I have to say she was a bit of a strange character as far as I was concerned. Um, but anyway, when I saw that she turned up in your band, I went, what the fuck? Um, so tell me how that came about. Do you know, I really don't know. I think it was because I think we were just bumping into her. Like she was another fixture in Taboo. And even oh. better, she knew all the main players there. Oh, I see. I see. And was very well connected with all the fashion people. That's right, yeah. At that time, I have to say, I was more excited by what was going on in London fashion world than I was about most of the music. I was not into Wham, I was not into Spandau Ballet. <clears throat> and all that period, I thought, was really meh. Yeah. Just didn't like it. 
And yeah. what was happening sort of slightly underground was really very edgy. So that, that, that my interest got more into that. Um, but that fed back into the music and, and the image. Interesting. <clears throat> Interesting. So what was the, I'm, I'm sorry to keep hammering on about this, but I just find it fascinating. I remember seeing you, I think it was on the tube. Mm. First time I seen the new lineup. Yeah. And it was a bit of a jaw dropping moment because I'm going, I was just fascinated to know what was going on inside, inside your conceptual heads. Cause I could see the irony of it. But it just, I don't know. It wasn't something... meant ironically at oh. all. Ooh, so it was meant to be like living kind of cartoony. Yeah, it was yeah. looking like, because the video for the first single was a cartoon. Yes, I remember. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it was, I can't remember their names now, but they had a studio on Neal Street. <coughs> and we were just, really surprised that yes you could have a cartoon video so i mean beyond excitement it was fantastic to be able to do that um and then comes the thing of like hmm, right oh so how do we <clears throat> how do we present this and we'd also started working with david levine a photographer right who is a fantastic photographer he photographed the whole 80s, you know, like yeah, yeah. very famous for doing um, Boy George, particularly around that time. And he brought, he'd sort of heard of this little idea, you know, the image. And he got hold of these film prop things like a gigantic angle poise lamp that was, I don't know, about seven <laughs> feet high. I remember those, yeah. You know. Uh, and, and so we got one of those. And other weird things, I'd had a, a keyboard, a fake keyboard, made out of God knows what, you know, polystyrene wooden paint and, you know, just covered with red, <laughs> red vinyl. PVC vinyl and painted crazy colours. Um, totally cartoon. I mean, as if Hanna Barbara had designed the the keyboard. It was it was that kind of. Uh, and so that that thought we thought yeah. oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So we did. That is how that that. Well, and and uh, and tell us about your favourite work on the album. Well, I really love the um, some of the mixes we did of How to Be a Millionaire, yeah. Tower of London. Um, and we recorded it all. It very One of the very, very early recordings, uh, totally digital. It was D, D, D. Oh, all right. Yeah, that was just starting then. I remember it. 32 track. That was it, 32 track. And it was like quite small tape, wasn't it? It was not particularly yeah. broad. Yeah, yeah. Huge machine, though. Massive. Huge machine. Massive. Yeah. Well, they all are on them. Huge oh, I tell you where it was. Let me tell you. This is an f- interesting and stupid story. We we were also recording at that time through Greg Walsh, um, 
luxury gap or how many are, I can't remember. Anyway, he said, let's do, oh no, it was definitely uh, luxury gap crushed by the wheels of industry. And the, the record company said, oh, we want to do a, we want to do a remix uh, uh, of it beyond the remix that we'd done because it was so successful in the clubs. And, they, and, um, and we went back to the original studio where we did it and they said, oh, we don't have that machine anymore. We can't play the multi-track. And we searched everywhere and everybody was either busy or they didn't have this. It was quite rare at the time. Yeah. So the record company paid for Greg to fly on Concord to America to go to a studio. I thought, this is just stupidly. This so is going on our bill. Now. It wouldn't happen now, but you, no. do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I thought, I was so jealous. I wanted to go on Concord. I wish I had now. Anyway. Um <laughs> Oh, I did yeah, so anyway, I love uh, I loved the single. I thought it was brilliant, and um, I was um, where Where did it get to in the charts? Do you know? Uh, in the UK, Saudi in my mind. It's just I've lost. <laughs> it slipped my mind slightly. <laughs> I love your <laughs> I love your style. I can honestly can't remember, but in no. my mind, it was a hit, a big hit. Anyway, <laughs> it wasn't. But and, weirdly, in America. They were loving it. Like right. Eden had, had um, just come back from New York and she said, I said, Ma, you got to get over there. Everywhere I go, they're playing How to Be a Millionaire. They absolutely love it. So, wow. Anyway, you ask why, Eden. Yeah. And refer, I'm just going to back loop slightly to All the right. tune performance. Okay. Maybe you didn't notice <clears throat> what Eden was wearing. What was she a wearing? belt made out of dildos. Oh, I do vaguely remember that. Yeah. Now that's why Eden was in the band. Yeah. <laughs> it probably wouldn't have let you do I'm that. Just on putting, top of the I'm just putting that there. Yeah, that's that that that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've got a uh, I've got an off-piece story to tell you about her later, but um, I won't oh, yeah. Yeah. tell you. As part of the podcast, um, so when did Martin start getting ill? Uh, mm, now I remember. By this point, Millionaire had got into the bloody American singles chart. Right, right. Can imagine. I mean, this is how crazy it can be. You know, they tell you, "Oh, to break America." You've got to tour and tour and tour and tour. It's bullshit. It's bullshit, yeah. This is how it happened from my point of view. I picked up the phone one day, and it's the American management saying, <coughs> Mark, you've got to come over. Uh, your, your record's in the Billboard chart. I'm right. Saying, what? I think, I mean... Anorax will put me straight, but I think it got to number 10 or something like really? that. Really? In America? Yes. Wow. Yes. So anyway, we had to go to promote TV shows, and we were doing a, a program called Solid Gold. We did uh, that as well, yeah, with Hemson. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> anyway, so we did that, and I remember Martin saying to our manager, oh, I feel terrible, Mark. I just feel like I've got flu all the time. Right, and I've noticed that's not right there. It feels the neck, you know, the neck, right, hands or whatever. And the manager said, Right, 
getting you to the doctor tomorrow. Mm. And that was the, the first... Really? The first... Um, Indication of the... Uh, of... Yeah, yeah. And he didn't look well, you could tell. Was it um, Hodgkin's lymphoma, lymphoma or something like yes. that? Yeah. Yeah, that attacks all the lymph nodes, doesn't it? And and yeah, um, it's it's yeah. horrible. My uh, one of my cousins had it, and uh, I mean she was fine, but it wasn't the treatment wasn't very pleasant. But um, anyway, yeah. Well, that, I don't want to dwell on it. It's just that, it, that, I found it interesting that when I was talking to Paul Bow the other day uh, about this period, he was saying that Marty was this kind of guy who would try to drive through stuff, you know, and. Um, which on on one level is very creditable, but on another level, it, it, you know, you got to put yourself. You got to put yourself first. First, otherwise, yeah, there ain't oh, no for anything. Yeah, moving on to Alphabet City then. Yeah. Um. Uh, by this time, of course, your your stock is rising in in America, as you said. So I suppose. Uh, and we have another hit off that off that album, "How to Be a Zillion. Right. Called "Be Near Me." I love that song. It's oh. One of my favourites. That that uh, yes, the, the, I wish the current I'd, ABC do I like. I'd recall that when you asked me. Oh yeah, but there are some great mixes of that I like. The Munich disco mix and the ecstasy mix of that. That I'm really proud of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good. It's a very, very good album. That got even higher. It was something like number six or number four in the right. Bill. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very proud. One year, I got um, an award from. Is it the BMI? Yeah, the American. Oh, the American one. Election yeah. agency. Oh, I can't uh, remember the name. No, of I can't it. remember. Yeah. But it said, "Oh, you've you've been rewarded for X million plays." Of be near me. I was like, "What?" That's... I was looking <laughs> at the other. <laughs> People had won it. It was like Bee Gees, Elton John, da 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 da. I'm thinking, wow, that's crazy. I hope I've not thrown that away. I want, I know that was an important. Yeah, it's a big deal. It was a big deal. I, I even knew it was a big deal at the time. You know, it's very right. just go, oh, fucking awards, you know. So, did you think at that time <clears> that you were going to have a long, that you stood a chance of having a long term career in America? And, and my uh, additional question is if you'd, not had a completely useless manager like Paul. No, I'm only joking. Uh, <laughs> but if you've had a proper manager, you know, like a big, big, uh, you know, top top ten manager, should we say? Do you think they might have persuaded you to spend more time in America and 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 really, you know, make your well, career? We went there as many times as we were asked to go. Oh, okay. Um, and. Uh, it's it's funny. America for me has always been more solid for ABC. That's very interesting. And it's it's odd, um, you know. They either like you or they don't, and God knows how they work it out. <laughs> because there are so many British bands who didn't, and that goes on. To the present day, you know, I don't think Robbie Williams ever broke through. I don't think Oasis ever broke through, or none of that ever ever got. Rock music never broke through. No, no. 
I mean, I think Brian Ferry some solo stuff did, but yeah, and, and in his um, "Love Is the Drug" period. Yeah. That, but yeah. I mean, but the original rock music, they tried to break America in inverted commas and it just didn't work at all. Well, um, as with Glenn, it breaks you, I think. Yeah. More yeah, yeah. Come. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we just, we were just happy to go there and they, they, they either take to you or they don't. And it's just with eternal gratitude that they did. And um, do you still get good royalties from all that stuff? People who have done well in America generally have much longer tail in terms of royalties. I do, Martin, yes. I'm really fucking jealous because we never really – well, firstly, we didn't tour America, but we were never as successful as you guys in America. And, you know, they just we just don't get a huge amount of money out of America. It's interesting. One of my friend, one of my best friends, is uh, Marcus Veer from Living in a Box, oh, yeah. and um, he's always saying, "Oh, it's PRS time," you know, and, yeah, and yeah. all that's fantastic. And again, I'm going living in a box. Yeah, living in a box. I mean, literally, is just still played loads all over the world. Yeah. And right. um, I'm going. Is it that important a thing for you? And I'm go he's going, yeah, it, is. it probably is for you guys too. I bet the airplay on your big hits are pretty big, aren't they, worldwide? It's wonderful. Um, and, yes, I am one of those people that uh, I see that PRS letter coming through the you door. You complete bastard. <laughs> I smile. Oh, God. Anyway, I'm not complaining. We've all had a good life out of it. Um, so, um, yeah, Alphabet City was good. Well, great, really, I suppose. Um, and um, so how were you feeling at that time? I know um, Martin was ill, wasn't he? So there wasn't maybe that hampered. Oh, the, he'd recovered. Had he recovered by then? But, but was he still? He had the treatment. Was he at full power, though? He looked very gaunt at that period, I remember. But in, in my recollection, yes. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, the, let's say all that, his illness started in about 85, let's say. Yeah. And then when smoky things came out in... What a track, by the way. Just incredible. Okay. So well, tell me who wrote, I mean, who's responsible for writing what on that? Well, as was often the way... Um, Martin has this exercise book of lyrics. It is every single page is covered with lyrics. Um, so he's never short of an idea for a song. Right. And half my job was going, mm, be great for Bob Dylan. <laughs> if you want to 30 verses, but I think we've got about 12 lines, Martin, to make a really good pop song. <clears throat> um, so the idea about Smokey was about, and I was just playing about writing one day on my own, and I thought, oh, okay, look, let's do that. Yeah, of course, you know, we'll say nothing more about that. Oh, I thought it was, it was, the arrangement was great, though. Come on. I mean, it was a classic... It was a classic um, evocation of a period, you know. That, that So that can't be knocked. You know, it was done with style. 
Oh, it's a love letter. <coughs> and generosity, you know. As well, yeah, yeah. And it does a thing that I really love. Um, I always felt we could never really write ha enough happy songs. It's tough. No. Do you know what? Writing happy songs is a much more it's difficult thing than... Bloody hard work, unless you stock Aitken Waterman, I think. Yeah, and that's all they can write. And that's all <laughs> they can write, you know. But for me, it was hard. So I thought, right, look, fuck it. I'm going to just do it in C major. Great. The simplest key there is, yep. you know. And so it's just in C, but in the verses, it, there are more minory things in it and, you know, jazzy minor sevenths and major sevenths, you know. So I liked that. It's sort yeah. of very poetic in the verses, and then it's all hands in the air. Yes, yeah, exactly. I hear violins. Um, and I, I remember we were, <laughs> I was writing that da, 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 in, in the, we had a little rehearsal place in back of Whiteley's in Queensway. All right, yeah. Yeah, in the basement in the corner. And uh, I was meeting a friend, Ronnie. Uh, and uh, I said, uh, we were due to go out. He says, uh, I said, come down, come down the studio. So he came in. I said, oh, I'm just, I've just got to finish this, Ronnie. Hang on a minute. And I just, you know, did a bit more of that. And he went, <clears throat> I said, oh, you know, right, I've just finished that. He said, Mark, it's a hit. Yeah. I said, what? He said, no, it, it's a hit. I can tell now. Yeah. I said, oh, okay, more than I can, but... There you go. But, it, yeah, it just had something about it. It, it had uh, some kind of energy to it. Well, I think the uh, the horn line, obviously, in the chorus, the ba -ba 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 -ba, is just, you know, I mean, I, I would think that most people who were real kind of northern soul aficionados would get that mm. and would dance to it, actually. So that or that is not, that it comes from a, a, an authentically soulful place. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. You know, because you've got the backbeat, that uh, the, which obviously is a the traditional Motown, Motown thing, and and and, <laughs> and what have you. But it's like that; it's all pushing and pulling off the beat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 um, well, you know, people who are not experts in music would hear that on the radio and go, "What's not to like about that?" <laughs> I, I know, I know. It sounds like a low bar to get over, but for pop music, <laughs> but for pop music, it's a very important. Instinctively high, yes, yeah. Uh, because that the, you want the bar to be low enough that the majority of people can get over it. If you yeah. say, for instance, you'd written that song, and you just got this beautiful verse going on with some beautiful kind of bittersweet kind of sevenths and stuff going on. And then it didn't have that uplift into the chorus. It just had something that was more, you know, that was still a chorus, but was but was more gentle. For instance, yes, no hit. No. So it's it's the, both of those things are necessary to provide the chiaroscuro for the for the whole song. Yes. Right. And I I I, I just uh, I think it's a great piece of pop songwriting, and I think, wow. you know, I would quite happily. Use that as an exemplar for for um, the people that I teach as as to how to write a great pop song. Wow! <laughs> no, I would. But no, it, I'm really proud of that, and uh, it did good. It was 
bit of a comeback single over here. I think it got to like number 10, number 11 or something like that. <clears throat> In America, it was also, it did really, really well. Um, so it was like, boom, here we are. Oh, right, two hits in a row in the US. That's good, off two albums. Um, and we actually um, played and promoting it. We found ourselves in Amsterdam in a studio. I think it was Hilversum, actually. Yeah. Remember the show Bop Bop? It rings a bell. Bop Bop, yes. Yeah, I, I think we may have done that. Top of the Pops. Yeah. And um, so we were on that. Well, guess who else was on it? Smokey. Oh. And we met Smokey. Oh, how beautiful. I think Martin mentioned this in his yeah. interview. It was absolutely lovely. and um, He's such a lovely guy, isn't he? I've heard from lots yeah. of people. Yeah. And so we did meet, have a, had a little chat, had some photos done together, and you know, <coughs> thought that was there. And then, you know, a month later, via the American management, two letters arrive. One to me personally, <clears throat> and one to Martin personally. I'm thinking, and it's got Motown Records on the top of it. It's from Smokey. Wow. Handwritten. Beautiful. And he said, <clears throat> guys, first of all, I want to thank you for writing your tribute song to me. Um, I really like it. I appreciate it. Fantastic. And he said, but you probably don't know that we actually made history with that record because it's never happened before that there's been a tribute record in the chart and the artist they're tributing at the same time. All right. So that's, that's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and and he's so he's writing it in his in his handwriting. He says, "Oh, you may not know, I'm the vice president of Motown Records." Oh, well, I didn't I didn't know that anyway. Um, and he says, um, "And if you ever are in LA, I'd be really happy to show you around Motown Records." How brilliant! And then he signs it off, "Your friend Smokey Robinson." Oh, now that is one of my treasures oh, absolutely that's <laughs> like you could go on antiques roadshow with it <laughs> it's not for sale it's no not it's not for sale i don't i'd never sell it you know all that unless uh, some of this wants it you know. yeah yeah exactly um <laughs> and they would by the way um right. wow that's a great story actually so that that was um that was a peak experience that one and probably one of my peak music experiences. Oh, it's got to be. Jesus Christ, I should imagine yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, you're very lucky, you know, because, you know, it's not just about longevity being being in a pop band. It's about keeping the quality up over a period of time as well. Yes. yes. And hoping that public taste follows you. That's, That's the, the big problem. Thing. Mm. And one of the biggest things that uh, for, for ABC is... Um, Martin's voice is so identifiable that he becomes uh, a fantastic trademark, but also a little bit of a curse over time. 
And mm. Same thing out with Glenn. It's like he used to be the he best. Identified or iconic yeah. part of the eighties, and then yes. you're like, let's go back to the eighties. Yeah, yeah. So then you end up back in, in the, the day. Yeah, you got you got you end up in a situation where you've got to. Get, we even ended up in a situation where we tried to disguise Glenn's voice occasionally, uh, which Good is ridiculous. I know exactly. Good luck. We didn't really succeed, but um, anyway. So let's move on to because um, we're running out of time yet again. We're not going to do a part three. It's all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, Abracadabra. Tell us about that. Right. So our deal with phonogram records came up. It reached its natural conclusion, and we thought. I mean, we were very much a victim of um, sort of musical chairs, A&R people. Yeah, in, yeah, in the yeah. record. You know where all the people who liked you, signed you? Yeah. Long gone. And all the new people couldn't give a damn. Yeah, because they That's just... difficult. They want the latest DJs or whatever. And... Yeah. So we, we just were looking around and EMI were interested. So we went to EMI to do that one. Right. Um, and um, the whole dance thing had happened, you know, Acid House had happened. Yeah. House music, techno, rave, it, it had gone overground. Yeah. And a lot of those influences we, we wanted to get in, just picking up when you were saying about changing tastes, you know, a half of it is staying relevant. Yes, true. Yeah, at the same time, we we were quite experienced and had sort of developed a lot of sort of sophisticated sound um, polish, which is very not what the dance thing is. It's very yeah. minimal, that, really. Um, so uh, wrote a bunch of songs. Uh, my favourite off that is Love Conquers All. Right. Right, uh, right. Was, it's a good song. It was the single which didn't make it. Uh, this is another peak experience for me. We were writing that song, um, and you know, we we left a gap. I, I said to Martin, "Oh, look, what we need here. Let's do some. Well, let's do like a Phil Manzanera kind of solo here. You know, I'll brush up the guitar, and you know, I think I can do it with enough tracks." <laughs> And then by the end of recording it, oh, there's still a big bloody hole in the record. Right. So I said, fuck it, let's just phone up Phil. And he didn't really do sessions. That are, no, no. As far no. as I've known, he, at, at that period, this was 91, 1990. Right. He didn't do them. No. So we sent a tape to him in wherever he was, Hertfordshire, I think, in his studio. And to my absolute astonishment, he said, <laughs> yes. Yep. So he came to the um, townhouse to record his solo, brought, you know, a wall full of pedals and, <laughs> and amps and a couple of guitars. I mean, he's just the... Sweetest, gentlest, kindest soul. I've heard this, yeah. yeah. He's lovely. <clears throat> and he said, apologetically, he said, look, guys, the, the way I normally work is 
and just just give me a lot of tracks and I'll just do some doodling. And then we'll sew it all together at the end. And I just went, yes, <laughs> how we do it. <laughs> Validation. Yeah. Wow, that's how Manzanera does it. Yeah, yeah. Mental. Yeah. Yeah. I so, believe in that process as well, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stitch together the good bits. Yeah. Yeah. But but leave in the quirkiness as well. Uh, yeah. You need a certain amount of randomness, don't you? I think to make things sound interesting and 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 um, make it suitable for repeat listenings. I, th- I think you need that quirkiness. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, well, otherwise, what's your character? Yeah. I mean, that's character defining, isn't it? You. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Mm. Brilliant. So that, that was lovely, and and we got in uh, from LA a, a, a keyboard player, wonderful called Tony Patler. You know, I mean, his CV, it's just got everybody from like Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, George Michael, blah blah. I mean, you think, <clears throat> can he be that good? But he was, you know. So he got this LA smoothness, right? Which he brought. But because he'd spent a lot of time in, in England and he loved Brits, he went out with Gloria, our mutual friend. Oh, I know Gloria, yeah, of course. So that's kind of how I got to know him. Um, yeah, so that was a nice collaboration. But Absolutely. probably the only album ABC made that didn't recoup. Really? Which is another thing I'm proud of. All our albums recouped. And only 25% of albums ever made recoup. Is that right? I didn't know that. Amazing, isn't it? You're full of, like, like pub trivia. It's great. You get get this stuff. You can cling to it as a sort of life raft. Yeah, exactly. Um, So you you did some production as well, didn't you? You did some stuff with Paul Rose. Is that right? Mm. Tell us about that. Shortly before that, we'd been going a lot to this place called Shoom which was a nightclub in Southwark. I mean, a real, it was held in a gym in the basement in Southwark. Maybe that conjures up some kind of... Yeah, it conjures up a certain smellscape for me. A smellscape. The toilets were not up to standard. Yeah, yeah. Probably a little bit illegal. Yes. Old thing, but it and it just had the most amazing people in there. Right. From all walks of life. You know, you'd got um Michael Clark, the dancer. I've done I've done I've done some uh, compos- I've did uh, I've done one of his shows at the Tate Modern, actually. Wow. He's a nice guy, Michael. He won't very well when I was working with him, but oh, oh. I lo- I love his I love his stuff. Mm. Um you know, and you got your smattering of pop stars, you know, Kevin Rowland, who I mentioned last time. Love Kevin. I keep <laughs> trying to persuade him to come on the podcast and he won't do it. Oh. It's pity, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You've, it is, really. Come on, Kevin. Yeah, come on, Kev. What's wrong with you, <laughs> do man? It. Do, do it. it. It's fun. Um, yeah. Uh, and then um, Patrick Cox, the shoe designer, was oh, often yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, I loved his shoes. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> yeah. In fact, in When Smokey Sings, there's a shoe solo. 
I get, I insisted on <coughs> them focusing on the shoes and doing a little bit of like, you know, I do a bit of footwork and, you know. Great. Well, I got free shoes after that. Hoofing. But if it wasn't hoofing, well, yeah, it was about as graceful as a... Uh, free shoes. As, a, as an animal. <laughs> but, right. Not so the, these strange, but also weird people like bank robbers, frankly, and, you know, East End criminals and all kinds of sorts. Interesting. They all just got on brilliantly. Might have been something to do with um, the, the chemicals that were yeah, in that end. Probably engine. had something to do with it. But it, it was doing good work anyway. So it was mixing all these people, and, and Paul Rutherford was there. And we found ourselves going to a lot of the same parties and end up in the same flat after kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, me and Martin just had a chat, and he said, guys, would you – I'd love to work with you. And, uh, yeah, so we wrote together and, and, did a, and did a song, which I love. In fact, I, I get as much love forget real as as i do for a lot of the other stuff right interesting yeah i mean it was a very popular sort of dance record at the, at the time um but as it's one of those tracks that people have said oh now i get it right yeah yeah and it has that that effect wow uh, and and i kind of thought production would I thought that's the natural next step for me. Yeah. yeah. And I really, really enjoyed the record with Paul. However, other stuff that I thought about doing and maybe tried a bit, I, I just thought, I don't know. I, I can provide a service unless I'm, 100% invested in it. Yeah. I feel it's coming as much from me as the other person. I, I, have, I lose interest really quickly. Yeah, me too. I'm a bit like that. I mean, that's why I stopped doing, really doing many productions around about the end of the 90s because I was kept getting offered real cookie-cutter stuff, you know, kind of boy mm. band and stuff that was coming off TV. And I just said, look, if that's what it's about now, I'm not really interested. No. There has to be a creative alliance between it me does. as a traditional producer and yeah. uh, 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 and the artist, and then we have to form a bubble, and that bubble is mm -hmm. us against the world and the record company, and yes. we, we create something unique. Yeah. And uh, that's the only way I can work as a producer. So this idea of some you know, 17-year-old telling me what the latest thing is, I just want uh, as an A&R person... I wasn't really interested. Uh, and so, yeah, I can completely dig what you're saying, you know, makes sense. Mm, so, so I didn't, I didn't. Right. But you could have done. Well, no, not, not given what I'd said. No. I mean, the only other option was just me launching something else. Right. Frankly, I, I just had, had it up to here. <laughs> the music business. <laughs> It was really like ever had a box of fucking chocolates. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Just then you feel sick as a dog. I'll have another. And then you just don't want to touch another chocolate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is what I feel with the music got like for me. It was just 
well, I've done it all. I, I've re- I can't really think of any new ambitions. Right. Also, I was aware it had wrecked me. Right. Taken so much out of me. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't in a state, you know, and this is really how I got to Reiki. So tell me about, uh, I mean, I'm fascinated with Reiki because, um, well, as I've got older, I've got more interested in alternative therapies and, and oh. uh, you know, I've, I've done a certain amount of therapy and not teaching therapy, having therapy myself. Yeah, and I, I, I have never had a Reiki session. Funnily enough, one of my best friends, Lucy, she's just become a Reiki kind of teacher and she's offered me mm. a free session. I'm going to have a go at it. Do you still, uh, do you still teach? No, no, I haven't. I, I did, but I did for 10 years. And tell me what it did for you. I came to it because I was really looking for healing myself. Yeah, of course. Of course. You know, and so I was reading every self-help book going. I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be a fantastic bookshop on uh, Monmouth Street, Covent Garden. Called yeah. mysteries. Yes, it is. Still so there, I think I, I would, you know, go in, go in there and look. Oh, what and whatever got my attention. They did astrology as well there, didn't they? I think and all that stuff. Uh, next door. Oh, that's the next door yeah. shop, is it? Yeah, that's Equinox. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I just sort of once went to this thing that was called the Mind Body Spirit Show. That was held every year. It's like um trade show, or I don't I don't know how you would define it. Um it was just hundreds of different people. Uh you know, this is crystal healing, this is yeah. Reiki, this is and I just experienced, I thought, oh you know, what the hell? I'll try it. I experienced it for the first time not expecting anything. I mean, I couldn't have been more sceptical, really. <laughs> and um, I, I got off the table. I was very aware. I felt something very strong and very different. But it was so out of my frame of reference. Yeah. I just put it in file 13. It was just, I'll put that in the X files. I don't know what it was, but... I. You know, I know it was something. And then weirdly, everywhere I went, I kept hearing about Reiki. And then I, I, um, my local gym, Lamptons, which was the end of um, Westbourne Grove there, I went there and there was like a big stack of leaflets. Do you want to learn Reiki? The Notting Hill Reiki Centre. I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. So I went there, and it was on All Saints Road. Oh, yeah. I used to live on West um, Westbourne Park Villas, just off Westbourne Park Road, so literally just, 100 just yards. around the corner. Yeah. Yeah, but, well, you remember at that time in, in this early it was It was rough around there. It was still the front line. Yeah. You, you had um police van parked at the end of All Saints Road 24-7. Yeah. Uh, just keeping an eye on things. Um, certainly not like it is now, posh no. bathroom shops and, you know, <laughs> stripes and things. No. Um, 
so I went and, and experienced it again, and it was the same. I thought, no, this thing has a character. I can feel it. Right. And, yeah, so I met this guy, Joseph Alberts, who was a Reiki teacher. And uh, I, I started to have a few sessions from him. And then after a few sessions, he went, so, Mark, right, uh, so are we going to run this Reiki centre together then? <laughs> he was like, after your money. <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you mean? I've only had uh, what I, I've only had like two or three sessions. He said, no, no, it isn't. No, Mark, I think you could do it. If you want to train, I can train you, and you can just come sit in on the the, the training courses and just assist me, but I'll teach okay. you Reiki first. Nice. So he did, and he did what is called initiating me into the rate to being a Reiki channel. And um, that set me on a process of, you know, you learn in, in degrees, you know, first, second, and then third, which is sort of teaching level. So I've done all the way up, to, well, and including teaching. Right. <laughs> um so we did. We we did this thing in uh, in All Saints Road, and it it's amazing. So we do these group Reiki sessions where you'd have one person on essentially a massage table, and you mm -hmm. might have like half a dozen people round, all simultaneously putting hands on, um, and it can get really quite powerful. Right. And you just create this amazing loved up bubble it, it, it's it's amazing and then i i always used to make me laugh or slash shudder right i'd come outside and there was always crack dealers outside <laughs> right crack weed crack weed i'm like no no it's all right it, which is a bit of a shock when you've yeah. come from this bubble so i did help him run that for a little bit but then when i got my training I decided to do that myself. He decided to go back to Germany. Right. Um, and uh, I got a flat on the corner of Newton Road and Westbourne Grove. And that became my healing centre. Great. Which is called the Healing Space. And that was... Nice. Yeah, and, and when there was downtime, I let other practitioners of different therapies use it as well. And yeah, I did that for ten years, Martin. And it's it's it. Some of the experiences in that were just so beautiful, and it was really nice coming from music. Yeah. Where, frankly, nest of vipers. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly, I thought, oh, this is different. I'm just meeting completely different people. Yeah. They're all coming from a completely different place. But they all presumably want healing of some description. Yeah. So you, part of what you do is obviously the techniques that you learn and the fact you've got a very gentle manner and empathetic manner. But, you know, some of it is really psychology as well, isn't it? And, and, uh, and, and well, so hmm. you've got to empathise with people's problems, presumably, in the same way that, say, a psychiatrist would. Um, see, I, I always think that about, about uh, people who... You know, are really good hairdressers, for instance. Oh, you know, part of it. The it's cash. a big part of it. You know, it's a big part is making people feel considered. Yes, and that you've put your finger on it right there. 
I would disagree that I have to get inside the heads. No, Reiki doesn't do that. Right. But what does have to happen is that the person who's a, a complete stranger usually walks in the room. They don't know me from Adam. And that they have to feel a rapport of very, very quickly mm. and establish some kind of trust. Yeah. You know, because they know they're going to be in a very vulnerable position. Exactly. And some awful people could take advantage of that. Um, so that has to happen. But then the fundamental thing about Reiki is you just allow it to happen. You're not okay. directing it. Yeah. At all, and I don't get into people's heads. It's purely sensory. Being angels and all this kind of stuff, yeah. which is nothing to do with Reiki. Um, <clears throat> it's just a, it's just a lovely warm energy, and what I found it did for me was it was incredibly relaxing and led me into like a meditative space far quickly and easier than that had ever been possible for me before. Right. So right. it was kind of like facilitating the medi the meditation. And um, I found what it did for me was reintegrate. It was working simultaneously, physically on me, relaxing. And when you get into that state, healing can happen on like an emotional level and a, and a mental level. So that that is for me all that all I'm doing is channeling the energy, and it's really the energy's intelligent. It goes where it needs to go. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, that that you is. You are my guru. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm qualified to know about that, but you know that's yeah. it. I've I, I, I've only had, ever had uh a transcendental experience like that apart from drugs obviously is a different thing but uh in in a in a completely sober state um in um isolation tanks which oh, yeah. i love by the way uh, and i did actually have a, a pretty much an astral experience one time in a in, in a... i was terrified of doing it for that reason really have you ever done it then no yeah yeah, yeah. For a brief period, there was a flotation tank place opened up just on Chepstow Road. Really? Okay. Yeah. Just down a little alleyway. All right. Yeah, I can't, Bryant begins with B. Can't remember the name yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, but I had to live on Chepstow Road as well. Really? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I was terrified of... Um, that happening that what's that movie that's about all about oh uh, altered states altered st i was thinking fuck if it's gonna do that no i just found i'm gonna it, be out of there i just found it incredible i actually did at my it's a it's like a level of expertise i suppose it might be the same with subjecting yourself to like reiki or something but it's like a level of connoisseurship where you go I can actually let go of everything. And at that point, then it feels like your body, for me anyway, it felt like my body was rotating in multiple axes, mm -hmm. completely weightless. 
which has the most incredible effect on your mind because all of a sudden it's like it's it's like this very it's like a slow explosion of calmness which I've never experienced in my life. Yeah, I love that. Anyway, I, so I'm looking forward to the Reiki thing. Actually, I must say. Yeah, I recommend it. I mean, unfortunately, there are a lot of rubbish Reiki people. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, <clears throat> and which is just a fact. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, I really recommend it, particularly, you know, just for centering and soothing, you know, your emotions. I need that shit like a bear needs honey. <coughs> oh, God, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, this has been another amazing chat, by the way. We've gone over time, but I, I think it's worth it. Um, I just got, you know, we did those daft questions last time. And actually, since then, I've come up with a couple of extra ones. So just give me a sec, one sec. <clears throat> which I'm going to ask everyone from now on. Um, which I quite like, these. Which is like, um, what's the song that you wish you'd written? Oh, God. I know it's a tough question. Do you know what? These, there's something wrong with my brain. In that whenever anybody asks me a question like that, not only can I think of a particular song, but I can't remember any song I've ever heard <laughs> ever. And I'm beginning to forget what music is. Oh, that's, well, actually, that might be a healthy thing. <laughs> I go through entire periods where I just don't want to listen to music. And then some oh, periods no. where I go, I'll just sit in my studio and listen to m music for hours on hours on end. And just get into that transcendental state. Um, and the only other one was... Um, no, I think that's it, actually. That's the only other new one. Um, but look, it's been absolutely fantastic, Mark. And um, I hope to spend some more time with you, probably with Councillor Bauer. Uh, oh, lovely. Uh, and... Um, and we can uh, shoot the breeze in uh, uh, just a pleasant way, but it won't be recorded. So we can go to all those places that we can't talk about. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> all right, man. Look, looking forward to seeing you soon. You too. All right. Lots of love. It's Martin. Bye-bye. Bye. There it is, I'm all chilled out now. Completely chilled. Um, yeah, a friend of mine, Lucy Massiera, is um, is a Reiki practitioner and she said she'd give me a free session, so I'm going to have a go at it. And Because uh, as I mentioned in the interview, I love um, isolation tanks and I can kind of dig the whole, um, the whole meditation thing. Uh, music for me is a meditation when I'm composing or listening to music. That's a meditation. Uh, it reconfigures my mind in a, in a positive way when I'm doing that. But I'm open to alternative therapies. In fact, I've done quite a lot of stuff with my friends Cherub Sanson uh, and Tim Wheater, uh, who are uh, sound artists, practitioners uh, for things like sound you know resonance experiences like gong baths um they use um you know indigenous peoples wind instruments 
Um, I've done stuff with them with 3D sound, combining it with electronics as well, which is really exciting and interesting. And uh, I've actually got a full album that I did with them, which is ne- I've never has never seen the light of day. Maybe I'll put it up as a special thing f- uh, if there's enough demand for it. It's called Empath. Uh, or is it called Empath Machine? I can't remember. Anyway, it's one of those two. Um, and it's now along and it's a thing of um, excitement and beauty and a little bit dark at times as well. We've got so many emails that we need to catch up on that we decided on a cunning plan. Uh, we're going to read out about a quarter of an hour's worth uh, as a special bonus feature at the end of every episode after the music finishes at the end of the episode. So if you keep tuned in, it's a bit like that thing where after the credits in films, you know, you get the you get the bonus stuff at the end if you can be bothered sitting in the cinema for another 10 minutes. It's that kind of thing. So, um, but please do have a listen to them because you might be, might be your email on them. Big shout out to SJM Concerts for continuing to support the podcast, uh, sponsor the podcast. Um, they're a great company. They represent a load of, uh, great artists in this country and putting on concerts. We all need entertainment nowadays. Thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Anyway, hope you enjoyed this extended insight into the mind of a very interesting guy, Mark. And uh, we'll have another great and uh, equally interesting guest for you next week. Bye. This is from Nicholas Gillard, and the title is Podness Gracious Me. Hey up, Mr. Ware. Love the podcast. Hasn't been a dead one yet. You first entered my life in 81 when I was a mere 12 years old. Uh, I'm going to have to skip most of this. Uh, future, blah, 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 going through this. It's basically his biography. I met loads of big names in music and prided myself for not being sycophantic. I think they're so sh- they appreciate it, if I'm honest. The uh, one and only time I felt starstruck was when I delivered some piece of hire kit to your gaff in Primrose Hill. Oh. On that subject, why is Keith Starmer endorsing massive fences to keep riffraff out? Oh, yeah, anyway, all that. <coughs> uh, he's a musician as well, Nicholas. Um... Uh, such a shame that art and music have been edged out of school curriculums. We will be a poorer nation for it. Could not agree more. Uh, anyway, I'm rambling. Could say that. What I like about the pod is, like your guest's choice of synth, they're all really different. Informative, mainly, many bloody hell I didn't know that moments, and easy to listen to. Chapeau, sir. Oh, thank you. Future guest ideas. Dave Ball, done it. Toya, yeah, I should get Toya on. <clears throat> Matt Johnson, like him. Martha Laidley, I know her. And uh, one of the orbital Hartnell brothers, Dan Paul. Uh, Carl Hyde, I'd like to do Carl. 
Thank you, Nick, for your long email. Uh, this is from Hippo Cleaning Services, Ollie Page. Uh, just a quick to say how much I enjoy the series. Once I've worked out how to do it, I'll also tell everybody else on Apple Podcasts and Spotify how much I enjoy. I was going to email a while ago to suggest a particular guest, but he's not really electronic, uh, but he is quality. Uh, but since some of your more recent guests, Boy George, Sananda Maitreya, and Nile Rogers, I'm not really fallen under the electronic genre. I'll try. Uh, Adam Ant. I'm an old friend of Adam. Um, and if I could get in contact with him, I'd really happy, uh, happily have him on. Thank you for that. Looking forward to future episodes. Thanks, Ollie. This is from Jack Thomas. Hi, Martin. Been a massive Heaven 17 fan since Luxury Gap and How Men Are. Loving your podcast. Some great stories from your guests. Very enjoyable. Keeping me sane. This seems to be quite a common theme. Not that I, you know, I'm not like some kind of psychological palliative. But I know that uh, listening to other people's podcasts kept me sane during lockdown, so I'm not surprised at all. And so I feel like I'm providing some kind of minor boom to the community, which is good. Suggestions for guests. Howard Jones, done it. David Sylvian, I've talked to him. He's not agreed yet, but I'm hoping he might. Robert Smith, uh, that'd be good. Dave Gahan, not sure if I could contact him. Jeremy Brooks, <clears throat> Martin, thanks for the podcast. Some suggestions. Bjork, would love to. Bill Drummond, great idea. Matt Johnson, great idea. Neil Tennant and or Chris Lowe, that'd be good. Aphex Twin, would love it. Carl Hyde or Rick Smith, Underworld, yep. Uh, Thomas Failman, would love that. All good suggestions. Um, bunch of others as well, but I think we'll skip those. Robbie Ryan. Hello, Martin. Just wanted to drop you a note to make sure you were doing well and let you know that I'm certainly enjoying your podcast. Looking forward to your book. Followed you for decades. Uh, like Maron, who you also admire, you have been deep in the weeds with many of the artists you talk to and have real insights and experience where typical journalists would not. I grew up at the end of the great new wave and synth boom of the 80s and found out about you after your humanly work and of course cottoned on to let me go which has got to be one of the best baselines in the history of pop thank you you were left but i thought all through my childhood and early adulthood that the bass sound was a vcs3 and in fact it was the first big track with the famous infamous roland tb303 and you were right Kraftwerk only got to do their grand experiments with loads of bespoke gear because they had financial benefits beyond the working man financial resources i think yeah i am glad they did because eventually others like yourself and myself could get on with with it based on their template cheers to you and your family all the best robbie ryan just an awesome guy it says i don't know if he's awesome or not uh hi martin loving the podcast blah 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 looking uh, to suggest guests what about China Crisis, Gary Daly, done it. Andrew Brackett still living in the 80s. 